Hey everybody, welcome to Urban Engine Podcast number 19. I'm Matt McClellan. I'm here with Michael Carroll, Jared, and Lacey. And today we're going to kind of pick these guys' brains about app development a little bit. Um, they've done quite a bit of it, I've gotten in the nitty gritty. Um, and I know we get that question a lot here in Urban Engine, in our community, um, you know, both from people who are just starting out and also who have been in the game, you know, some kind of entrepreneurship for a while. Um, you know, I would say the one that I see most commonly is someone's like, hey, I've got this idea, you know, I think it's going to be a great app and I want to get started on developing it. Who do I talk to, right? And so from you guys' experience, that's obviously not ready to go, right? Like you need a whole crazy scope of work to actually like dig into this thing a little, a little further. So where do you usually start with someone like that when they come and ask that question? What would you recommend? Um, sure. So I think the first step for them is to really kind of do some research um, on their own to look out there, look through the app store, make sure that there's nothing kind of similar to it that already exists. Um, or if there is something similar to it, take a look at those um, applications and pick apart what they like, what they don't like, what's different um, about those apps versus what it is that they're trying to build so that they can really um, differentiate themselves and figure out how they're gonna, how their app is gonna be unique and what's gonna be that kind of special niche, fa niche factor about their, their application. So really starting with just some background um, research and, and narrowing down, focusing what their app is really gonna be about. Okay, so not just like, hey, I wanna sell shit. Yeah. <laughs> an app and people are going to buy my shit, right? It's not that simple. Right, right. Yeah. And so, and it depends on, you know, if they're looking to, you know, monetize that app in any way, thinking about the different um, ways that they can do that, whether it's, you know, they charge a fee for the app, whether they are interested in having, you know, ads within the application itself, or if there's some sort of paid service or something that goes along. So really thinking about how, if they are trying to make money from it, what's that revenue stream going to be, what's going to make the most sense for what it is they're trying to build, um, and thinking about those sorts of things. So kind of getting an idea of their whole feature set from the get-go, right? Like their, their have and have-nots kind of, kind of thing, um, and what they want it to be like for the user. And, and sometimes I think that's hard for people to completely grasp, right? Because they're, they're not a developer, so they don't really understand maybe what that undertaking is like. Um, or also they look at these other apps and like, yeah, I really like this, and you're like, that's great. That is built by a really tremendous team. You know, mm -hmm. that's not something we can just churn and burn for you. Um, so do you have advice for someone that is, is looking to have an app developed on like what their minimum viable product or like what they should really focus on at the beginning? You know, they, they get these features down pat maybe for what they want to do. Um, can you give us some examples of like how they should hone that in? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we definitely always recommend that they start with kind of what is either the one core feature or one or two core features that really define their app. What is, you know, what is the goal? What is it you're trying to actually get across? Um, and start with just kind of the real true base functionality. Um, and then, you know, you can have a set of other kind of things that you maybe are more long-term or nice-to-haves. And then uh, me as a uh, someone trying to guide someone through this process, I can look at those different features. I can see here's the core functionality and kind of give you an idea of how what the effort is going to be to build that. And then a lot of times we can even go through their nice-to-haves and say, well, this one actually wouldn't be that hard to go ahead and add in. Or these ones, yeah, that would be a whole, you know, undertaking. So let's put those on the back burner for a minute and, and kind of build a, a platform from there. So to kind of get deliver a little better scope of what it looks like in these projects, how many projects can you typically handle at one time for app development? 
me, me personally, like my um, really, um, my company's pretty small, so not more than about two or three. Um, you know, the building actual native applications is a pretty intensive process, and so. Um, and I guess the reason I asked that is because I'm really trying to understand how many ideas you turn down, right? Like, which ones when someone comes to you and says, like, hey, I would like to develop this app, you're like, I don't think we're the best fit for that. Or, hey, we've got these other guys that are in the mix. This is really what we're trying to focus on. Do you, do you have a certain niche that you lean towards more, or you just look at the, the scope of the project in whole and what you feel like your team is best suited for? Um, for us, we just kind of look at, at the project individually and, you know, see if our team has the bandwidth to take that on, or if not, um, a lot of times, we I have several people that I've been working with for quite a few months now who are still kind of building out their own um, building out exactly what it is that they want. So, you know, they came to us with an idea and, you know, we kind of sat down with them and went through doing the MVP process and sent that back and they're spending some time refining that and really thinking about um, if they want to move forward, how they want to move forward, and we kind of just stay in contact with them as they kind of narrow that down and then while we continue working on some other sure. things. And then it takes, what, just about a week to turn these out? <laughs> just, just like that. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's quite a bit longer, and I'll, I'll, I feel like I'm... Uh, well, I was just going to say we could jump back to one thing there. So you said native app, and maybe just to sort of set the groundwork and the vocabulary and jargon here for the rest of the episode, um, you know, maybe we could give the distinction between a native app versus a, a non-native application and what implications that would have in terms of time and cost of development, um, as well as, you know, I think one of the things is like a standalone app, like something like a game or, or something that would function just on the phone mm -hmm. versus something that has some connectivity back to some central server, be it uh, e-commerce site or a chat application or something like that. Maybe Jared, you want to? Sure. Yeah. So when you're talking native versus non-native, what you're really getting down to is whether or not the app is going to be built using Apple or Android's native libraries, or you're going to be using a solution that is above that, uh, maybe a, I'd like to explain it like languages. So it's like you have Spanish and English. You could be writing it in Spanglish, but it'll derive to Spanish or English. So uh, the non-native solution can be written in something that doesn't look like Apple or Android. Maybe it looks like JavaScript, for instance. React Native is a popular non-native choice and it will derive down into an iOS app and an Android app. And what's nice about that is you build it once and then you get two products that will run on the two different platforms. Some of the things that you lose there is usually you're a little bit behind what is natively offered by Apple or Android because somebody's got to write the Spanglish version of that for, before you get the translations. Mm -hmm. And so when you write native, you're writing directly for iOS and directly for Android. You're speaking plain Spanish or you're speaking sp plain English. And uh, typically the development cycles for those are going to be longer. You need expertise in both. Sometimes people don't have that, teams don't have that. Here in town, most of the people that I see writing apps are doing React Native, and it's a perfectly viable solution. And what's really nice about React Native versus some of the other Spanglish, non-native solutions out there is that it actually goes down to true English and true Spanish. Some of the other types of apps that you can have are essentially wrappers of a website in a web, like a web view. So what you're really looking at is a website that looks nice on a mobile device, but it's not truly an app and it's not truly taking advantage of everything that Apple has to offer or everything Android has to offer. For example, uh, push notifications. If you're building a, not a React-based solution, so not uh, the good example I gave, but you're using something, um, I think Cordova is a web wrapper 
uh, around a, uh, so it gives you something that looks like an app, but it's essentially a website on a mobile device. You're not going to be able to take advantage of some of the system level things like notifications, maybe like access to subsystems for machine learning or uh, microphones or audio. Uh, you'll have to deal with like some higher level abstraction that doesn't give you all of the, the functionality of those lower level systems. So the lower level stuff takes substantially longer mm -hmm. to develop in general, but if you wanted to really rely on some feature of a phone, be it the AR or machine learning or something like that, that would pretty much be the only way. Whereas if you have something that's essentially a website already or the thing that you're thinking of can essentially map to a website, maybe a, a non-native approach would be a reasonable way to, to cut development time and save a little bit of money. Yeah, and I think a lot of the ideas that people have that have come to me personally don't really fit into the box of the thing I want to do is so device specific that you'd have to go native. Mm -hmm. Most of the things that people come to me with are something that's a kind of a general purpose type of solution that could be built with something like React in a non-native way and then you get your, your Android and iOS app and you know it's just like buttons and flow and information and visualizing it nice on a mobile device but it's not I need access to the microphone I need some kind of fancy like machine learning thing mm -hmm. that runs on the device or uh, something GPS of that nature. Yeah. yeah you're not yeah. reproducing Strava you're not <laughs> reproducing I agree so most of most of the stuff that has come through us is stuff that can be built in React or something like that so that it can be um, ported down to both uh, platforms um, and I think from a business perspective it's good for a lot of these um, kind of startup type applications it's a good way to get something out the door into the store so people can play with it give you feedback uh, figure out you know what works what doesn't that sort of thing and then if you know it takes off you can always come back and and rebuild the applications in, in the native languages if you're if it's something that looks like it's really going to be um, you know. Yeah, so tying back to the kind of lean startup approach, mm -hmm. you would say the, the React native or, or some sort of um, kind of higher level abstraction gives you the ability to iterate faster mm -hmm. than, a, than a native application in general? I might even go one level above that and applying some, I guess, uh, where the rubber hits the road to the, the same questions that you were posing that you would ask like who is your customer where are they finding the value the things that you're trying to get this person that has just an idea when they came to you to actually see uh, build something in keynote you can get a really high fidelity mock-up in keynote most everybody knows how to use it or powerpoint and you can really put that in front of somebody and get their feedback on what you think your app idea is and find out if there's really value there's a lot of people that come to me and i kind of think of it like accepting someone into your family you like you really want to make sure this person is ready to go because app building apps isn't something that's like you cut somebody's grass and it's done like I don't need to see you again it's like I'm gonna be working with this person for months potentially and I really want to figure out if they got the stuff and one of the things that I'm gonna do to figure that out is say hey you have this idea maybe it's good maybe it's not I want you to go test that idea and here's how you can do it Just build something in Keynote make it as high fidelity as you can the principle I like to adopt is the, the Goldilocks principle. So don't make it so low fidelity like a paper mock-up that people see it as like, oh, this is just in development, this isn't a real product. But don't make it so high fidelity that it takes you weeks on end to build something. Find something that's just right, just in the middle, build that and test it with people and see what they say. And you'll find out quickly whether or not what you're thinking is gonna actually provide value or not. Well, and I, you know, I kinda led in with the minimally viable product there and, and Michael mentioned from the book, The Lean Startup, and so, yeah, it sounds like you both are on the same page of you would kind of follow that mantra or recommend mm -hmm. most 
users that come to you would follow that mantra to get going. Maybe it's not completely basic minimal like you were suggesting now, but you know something that gets the job done and doesn't have all the bells and whistles maybe. But um, and, and if you're listening, the goal of that is to be able, like Jared just said, to be able to test your product and your idea and make sure it functions before you spend a ton of money and time on this thing and end up with something that doesn't really accomplish what you're looking for or nobody likes it in the, in the first place, right? Mm. And and that's and that's the goal is to save you time and money big time by testing it on on, on the front end. Um, and so you know when we are talking about this native versus non-native. Um, as far as a length of time or cost scenario, do you have some kind of ballparks for maybe a relative feature set that you have in mind for some of the apps you've developed? I know that's, that <laughs> it really kind of changes depending on the functionality, but you know, let's say it's a basic sales application that you know, it just puts their store or their products into a mobile interface, uh, maybe with the addition of push notifications you know, and, and coupons something that's a relatively simple shopping interface. I'm sure that's a fairly common need for a lot of companies. Um, how long would something like that take to develop? I could throw some ballparks out. I'll make a couple assumptions though. So I'm gonna assume it's just me. And so if it's just me, I would probably uh, recommend going non-native, but let's say we're going native, let's start with that. Um, I think you could get like a basic sales-based app, uh, MVP of it out for each platform in maybe a month. Um, and then for the non-native approach, maybe you cut that down to about two weeks. Uh, the, the, one of the things that's detrimental, I guess, to the native approach is that if it's just me, I'm going to have to build every feature twice, and that gets old really quick. In fact, that's the type of solution that we've gone through for a while, uh, where I'm at now with Comments Sold, and we've started to consider, well, maybe we want to use a, a non-native uh, approach instead. But yeah, I would say around a month uh, would be about the time to get you to an MVP, but you really want to make sure that person knows this isn't a full feature ready to go, but this is re definitely ready to test, maybe even ready to put on the app store, but let's start with that MVP, and then we can add on those additional features that we wrote down earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if you're, if you're someone who's starting this for the first time, right, like this is your business, and this app is the first thing, maybe you can get some beta testers to try it out at that point, but if you're somebody who has a very large company, you're not going to release date one month in to your full populace, right? Mm. Yeah, you want to sandbox, if you have a, an existing company, you'd want to probably sandbox this app to some smaller percentage of your already users and then make sure that whoever's working on that, I just said me in this particular example, I would want to make sure that I'm supported by people that can promote this as if it is a real potential product either within this company or maybe you do it under a different name. That's a common approach that people use because there will already be expectations of my previous work that I've done and so by putting it under another company name or another product name, people don't immediately tether it to you. Uh, but at least you're fully supported in that it's marketed um, and you know there's going to be people there to test it. Um, you have the people to support if there's questions, people that are there to, to look at the data that's going to be coming across the wire to make sure that people are using the app the way you thought they might be using it or that you'd be able to get learnings from it. So do the app stores provide a mechanism for kind of doing that selective rollout? Like if you wanted to do beta or you wanted to kind of test new or different features uh, as you as you grow and expand the app are there tools and things that sort of allow you to do that that rollout and analysis yeah so the app stores allow you to add um, email accounts to um, a beta uh, version of the app so that only those people that with those uh, particular accounts can download the app and access it and so you can um, lean on those things and, and notify those people wh however you acquire them and um, get them to test it for you. Um, so they, they help with that a little bit. 
There's even a couple of third-party solutions that don't require you have to go straight through iTunes or um, the Apple Store or through Google's Play Store. You can just go straight to people provided an email address and that they have a mobile device and test that way. Yeah. And uh, to circle back just a little bit to his kind of, you know, time frame as far as the about a month or so to build an app, I would say that's, I would, or the assumptions I would make with that is that you have a kind of a, a solid design when you start the development and, a, you know, a really kind of solidified feature list of exactly um, as you're going through the development process making changes kind of, you know, midway through or not having a really kind of solid idea of, you know, what it is you're trying to build from the beginning, it um, can definitely lengthen that process and and just make it uh, more challenging going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if people think one month is too long, the uh, next thing I would say to them is like, well, we don't even need to do that. Let's go with a one-week design sprint. So there's another great book out there I'd recommend. Anybody that's thinking about an app, read this book. It's called Design Sprint. It's by Jake Knapp, who's with Google Ventures which is a spinoff of Google that invests in startups that have great ideas and that they think are going to change the world. And he runs these design sprints with all kinds of Fortune 500s all the way down to your startup companies. And the idea is we're going to put everybody in a room and it's not going to be a brainstorming session where the loudest voice wins. What it's going to be is a very procedural, structured set of exercises that's going to pull out the best ideas from everyone. And it's going to pull out the ideas based on some user perspective or potential users if you don't have any yet, maybe some experts that are already in the field that know what the common problems are that are related to what you're trying to solve. And in kind of a very democratic way, those best ideas bubble to the top. And by the end of the week, you have a high fidelity prototype, typically built with Keynote or PowerPoint. Um, if it's a physical product, they have recommendations for that as well. But on Friday, the end of the week, you'll have tested it with five people and gotten feedback on whether the idea is really going to work. And you could save yourself countless hours and lots of dollars doing something like that versus the the one month that we just talked about even mm -hmm. and so even in that one month you know with again we made up a lot of a lot of assumptions there right because we have to um, for working on this fictitious app here but uh, even that one month to get to that basic product what kind of dollars are we talking in expense there you know ballparking it again because it's really hard to know exactly how much time you're gonna spend on it as a developer right and so when you give somebody a cost up front, um, do you typically kind of build in just your hourly rate or give them, hey, for this much features, I'm going to charge you X? Do oh. you want to take this one first? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I typically do it I, as, as a feature. Um, so this many features is going to cost this uh, amount of dollars because uh, for us, I can have a team of people working on something and it, you know, the hours may vary and that's, you know, I shouldn't, that shouldn't be put on the customer to kind of manage that. Um, so I'd say, you know, have a very specific list of these are the features, this is what it's going to be at the end, and, you know, this is kind of the cost that that will be. And then anything past that, um, we might do it at an hourly rate or something like that. But okay. um, I know people tend to get the sticker shock usually when they kind of go out to some of these consulting organizations that'll develop apps. But, you know, I always go back to if it's going to take a developer or two developers a month to do it and you're paying a developer whatever median salary is you know it's pretty easy to get to twenty or thirty thousand dollars a month in burn rate uh, just to have those two people working on an app oh yeah right mm -hmm. so yeah I haven't seen the numbers lately but I'd guess the hourly rate for mobile developers could be anywhere from fifty to two hundred dollars an hour and so uh, I've seen other estimates where what you do is you kind of define a time block 
and that you'll have a deliverable at the end of that time block. And so you can stage it out. So sticking with that whole MVP mantra, let's say mm -hmm. we'll go 40 hours. I can give you 40 hours at this rate, and by the end of this period, we'll have something. And you can go with it, or you could go another direction. And be very, like in most of those cases, I'd be very open to say, whatever's built, you can take it. Like you own it. Like if you want to take it, maybe that's the thing that the person's stuck on. But especially um, when I was doing a lot of app uh, proposals here in town, as soon as I put a number out like $100, $150 an hour, 40 hours plus, people went the other direction. Mm -hmm. And to me, I kind of wish I would. Like, it, it's a good thing. Like, they're learning, okay, this is maybe more expensive than I thought it was. But really where I want to drive that conversation where someone just came up to me and said, I have an app idea, is, okay, let me help you figure out if that app that idea is actually worth pursuing. Because mm -hmm. you can build most anything these days, but is it the right thing to build? Is it gonna solve a problem? And uh, you don't want people to waste their money building something that no one's gonna use. Well, and that, I think that kind of leads into what the next question I was gonna ask you guys, and that's, you know, in the theme of like e-commerce, right, there's a lot of templated shops you can choose from these days, right? You can buy uh, a WooCommerce or Magento or Shopify, and you can template this thing and get it pretty close to what you want it to look like before you start doing any development work and theming it and making it pretty and function right, right? But can you do the same thing with apps or are you pretty much looking at, we're gonna do this thing from scratch in one of the languages you've mentioned to be able to split it different ways? Do you have code bases set for certain functionalities that can save you and also your, your users or uh, customers some time and dollars? So, so I think sometimes uh, if you're, let's say a development shop that has dealt with a lot of e-commerce apps, you might have a base of code that you kind of start with as a template uh, that can get you moving pretty quick. A lot of the solutions that I've seen for, let's use the e-commerce example, and let's use Shopify because I know them. Uh, Shopgate is a third party that connects to Shopify shops and they have a templated app that essentially spins up your Shopify shop as a mobile app almost you know, 24 hours, like however long it takes them to get it out to the app store. So they've really specialized and just that specific use case, that specific problem, if you're willing to pay the sticker price, you can have something really quick. But if you're going to somebody that's a smaller shop that's never worked with this type of product before, then uh, they may be starting from square one. And so you're going to maybe pay for that cost, but if they're good, maybe they can build it fast. So, mm -hmm. you know, you got to take that risk uh, and really know who you're working with at that point. Yeah, sure. So we internally as a team, as we build applications and stuff like that, keep kind of a repository of different pieces of code that are useful, you know, things like, um, you know, authentication methods and things like that. Um, we kind of, so we can reuse that and get things up and running quicker, mm -hmm. but that's just kind of an internal process that, that we use. Yeah, and it gets into a larger discussion too of whether or not you want an app that's reliant on a lot of third-party solutions that you can integrate with quickly, but may not be supported the next six months, let's say. So uh, let's use the example of Stripe. They're a popular payment processor and they're a well-known one and a well-supported one. And if you had an e-commerce shop, you could use Stripe as your payment processor and you could use their third-party library to set up the interface that takes a credit card number and allows you to pay. And you could set that up pretty quickly and you could probably, like in a reliable way, say, okay, Stripe will be around for the next year or two. I'm not too much worried if they go under and no, the functionality is no longer available. But on other things, like maybe there's this really groovy button design that you like that you saw in another app Maybe there's a third party out there that's, or maybe it's an individual that's built a button that looks just like that. And we're like, oh man, we really want to use that. And you use it and then the person never updates it uh, with the next release of iOS and Android and in two months it's dead in the water. And now you're having to go back and refactor and fix. 
Um, so you run into that issue. Uh, another thing that's kind of a pro for the non-native approach is that the styling of a non-native app is typically done in a way that's more similar to how you would style a web page. And so using those technologies that haven't, I mean, they've changed, but they're, you're still kind of working from a more known baseline, I'd say. Uh, you could get styling that's going to look pretty consistent to your website more quickly on your apps if you're going to have like a website and an app combo. So I think an important distinction with those those third-party applications as well is the ones that tend to make your application easier to develop typically come with some sort of cost, mm -hmm. right? So, so if you're using Stripe, that's much easier than using maybe a traditional payment processor uh, in that they have Android and they have iOS libraries available for you, but their cost per transaction is going to be substantially higher than maybe like a traditional payment processor, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of can add up quickly if you're starting to use, if you're relying on a third party for authentication, you're relying on a third party for email, you're relying on a third party for payment processing, all of those things can kind of uh, run up your monthly bill of what, what the app actually costs in addition to development time. Well, and I think too, you mentioned earlier, Michael, that you know they may not really need an app in the first place, and, and both of you mentioned qualifying the customer a little bit, right? And, mm -hmm. and making sure that they know that whether they need an app or not. And uh, Michael mentioned before we got on the podcast the possibility of a web app as well. Is that something you two have experience with? Yeah, sure. So um, that's a lot of times that's one of the very first things I talk about with customers is does this need to be something that's you know downloadable on the app store? Or does this need to be kind of a web page, a mobile friendly, just website that's out there? And um, usually it just kind of depends on the nature of, of what what the application is. So I've had people come to me that want. Um, kind of a customized application built to manage some of their processes for their business. And so something like that would, it makes more sense to build a web app, something that, you know, most of their users are going to be on a computer or something. And so um, versus someone that, you know, obviously needs to be in the app store. So um, building something uh, as a web app versus um, a, a phone application is, is significantly cheaper and takes a lot less time. Um, but there's, it just has each have pros and cons and the you know right use cases. Mm -hmm. What would you say the big kind of flags are for for one direction or another? Right. So it's like, hey, you don't even really need an app, and and this is why you don't need an app. Let me tell you. Or mm -hmm. yes, that is something that we definitely are going to have to build up for. Is it just that hey, I want to be in the app store rather than making my users open Safari or Chrome and go to a website? Uh, or is there is there something more complicated to that decision? Yeah, I think for me it, it boils down to what do you intend the use case to look like? Is this something that somebody's going to use every day? Is this a, a type of app that you would want notifications with? That's really probably one of the biggest ones. With a web app or a website that looks good on mobile that you could open in Safari or Chrome, you don't have the ability to send notifications to your user uh, that you may upsell them on something or encourage them to do something. Um, so if you think about that tactile experience and like what they're actually going to be doing and it requires something that's very phone specific and something you couldn't get inside of the browser, you're going mobile app. Um, also, if you think about the apps that are kind of part of a, a larger ecosystem now of devices with phone apps, for instance, then that's probably a mobile app. It needs the mobile app and then the phone experience, or the, uh, I'm not phone, I meant watch. Did I say phone? I think. Yeah. Okay, I meant watch. <laughs> uh, so, like, if you're, if you're thinking about an experience that a user uh, would use this particular app or service, both from their phone, but also it'd be nice to be able to look at it on their watch, you can't do that with uh, a web mm -hmm. site that's running in a browser. 
Well, and I think that, uh, you know, again, it just kind of goes, goes down to what you said, the functionality. Uh, notifications to me are like one of the main reasons you would want to have an app in the first mm -hmm. place, right? You want to communicate with your users in some form or fashion because um, that's also where the benefit is typically coming in for both of you, right? Um, whether you're alerting them for a sales opportunity or you're encouraging them to buy um, based on habit, alerting them of a ship notification, a delivery, you know, all kinds of things. Um, these days it could be, you know, health or just chat related as well. Um, so we've talked about kind of the hours uh, of, of production in like a monthly basis, maybe like starting with 40, but what is your average type of hours you're putting in for an app? You know, we, we kind of threw rates between like $50 and $200 an hour for development, but what is your average hours you've seen for like completion of an app? It's hard to say because again, I'm, not, I'm not writing this down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just want to give people an idea of what they're looking. Yeah, we're going to get a contract at the end. Of the <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, because you know I hear that question and then I'm immediately like, well, apps really aren't ever complete. Yeah. Um, you're always wanting to figure out is there more value that I could provide, but um, well, and that's and that's something I want to talk about too mm -hmm. is that after you're actually done with the app, there is an important maintenance phase that they have to understand, like when iOS upgrades, like they may need you to come in and fix this thing, right? So make sure it runs smoothly. Or they may come up with features down the line. So it is kind of an ongoing thing, but like kind of their first initial like, I want an app, we got these features, then we implemented these. Here we're pretty much at the finish line, the 90% place, right? I, I, what does that look like? And I would say like, almost if you don't intend to keep maintaining it and keep updating it, you probably would have been better off just not doing it to yeah, begin with. Mm -hmm. I think like yeah. banks are notably terrible about their apps where, where, you know, an iOS or an Android update happens and the app doesn't come along with it. And then it's, it's worse than useless because now it's just taking up space on your phone and it can't even do the thing that it was originally supposed to do. Yeah, right. So you got to be kind of willing to, it's like getting a puppy. You've got to be willing to, to commit to the, the long-term life cycle of that thing, right? Yeah, I mean, and I think he, you know, he said it best earlier when he's like, it's like inviting somebody into your family because mm -hmm. you're, you're basically marrying this thing for a little while, right? Mm -hmm. you, got to, you have to have a long-term relationship, um, not just with your developer, but with the app. And so you have to understand that you're not building a car and then going off to drive it with minor maintenance and oil changes along the way, right? Like this is one of those things that's going to change faces. It's going to change functionalities maybe as you realize your users don't want to do what you originally thought they want to do, right? Mm -hmm. And those are all, you know, possibilities as well. Yeah, I think there's a common fallacy to think of apps almost like people thought of websites when the web was really becoming a place that everybody could go to to get information about whatever it was. So it's like, oh, I have a website now. Now I'm going to have users. Like there's a, a belief that you, whatever your idea is, like really, really interesting to people, but you don't really know if it's interesting to people. You haven't tested that out. And so people come to you with their idea and they think, okay, we're going to put it out there and then it's just going to work, right? It's like, no, that's not really how it, it goes. Like, you really have to, to dive into figuring out where the value is. And uh, I still would stick with maybe my month estimate to your original question on, like, how long it would take. Because if you go anything longer than that, you may be running into a situation where you've taken three months to build something and at the end of the three months the environment's changed or it's not interesting anymore or people aren't going to use it. So getting it out there as quickly as possible is probably the best thing you could do as the person with the app idea and I could do as the developer. Okay, you. that's good information. You know, it's one of those things where I know when I've asked people about apps in the past, that is not the kind of timeline they gave me at all. It was much longer than that. But you make a really good point that, um, yeah, things do change so rapidly these days, right? Like this is 2018, this isn't, you know, the first age of the web. We're looking at just 
basic HTML here, like all the languages can change, functionalities can change, phone features can change, consumer behavior can change. So that is a good point that rushing to get that project out um, under its current scope is important. Yeah, and it may require the person that with the idea to really reduce that scope. Like what mm -hmm. is the 90%, the bare minimum 90% that we could launch with? What is that? And really help that extract those ideas and those thoughts from that person. Because again, they're just coming to you with an idea and everybody's got them and most of them aren't very good. Yeah. yeah. So one thing I'm interested in, you know, we've talked a lot about apps that kind of supplement maybe an already existing uh, business or e-commerce platform that you already have set up. Um, but for maybe like a, a, a greenfield app, you know, something that hasn't existed before, uh, what does the like monetization landscape look like these days? Because there's what more than a billion apps, or however many apps they've got in the in the iOS store. How how feasible is it to actually make money by selling an app or selling advertising? Is is that still a viable strategy, or do you essentially have to have some other business to back it up? I think some of it depends on the nature of your, like the customer relationship to your company. Is it a, a vi is it viral in nature? Is it more of, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, um, The Lean Startup is another book. I recommend reading that one too. They classify it as, is it a type of interaction with the user where you're trying to maximize uh, the value in a session over time and just continually provide more and more value? And so, uh, like with the viral one, for instance, you can get a lot of growth really quickly, really cheaply by doing things like social sharing and making sure it's popping up on people's Facebook feeds because I don't know if that's still the, the primary network people are using, but you can guarantee that there are going to be eyes there and it's not super expensive to get your stuff out in front of people there. Um, if it's the other way around, if it's more, uh, you know, one customer can bring you a ton of value, then start with like those people that are like the would be fanboys or fangirls of your product regardless and start really giving them value and hopefully it can kind of grow organically from there and you don't have to invest as much in the advertising dollars to, to make it grow. Yeah, but I mean, I definitely think it, it, there is still some feasibility to, to you know, monetizing um, different applications. It, like you said, it really just kind of depends on who your customer base is and, and going back to really understanding what, yeah, the value that you're bringing to them, what it is they're looking for, and kind of, you know, understanding what it is that they're willing to to pay for that. Well, and I think that the, the person coming to you, the user, needs to understand, how am I going to get this thing out there, right? Putting it on the app store, if you build it, they just won't come. Right? Mm -hmm. There's so many apps, Mike already mentioned, you know, there, it doesn't just pop up in the app store like, hey, there's a new application I think you should check out, right? Like, they mm -hmm. have to get this app out there, too, and so find those target mm -hmm. users. And so if they're going from zero... I mean, it's, it's really going to be tough to navigate. So they've got to have a good game plan up front. And is that something that you guys kind of vet a little bit early on, too, to kind of find out, like, hey, man, I'm going to tell you right now that you're just going to waste your time and mine if we just put this thing on the App Store mm -hmm. and you're hoping people are going to find it? Yeah, that's the whole idea behind the design sprint that I mentioned earlier and a lot of the ideas underpinning the Lean Startup movement is that if you're waiting for the app release to figure out if people are actually going to use it and it's going to make money, you're waited way too long. Like mm -hmm. That should be, that's not even a, an idea anymore, like that you put something out there and just cross your fingers and hope it's going to work. You should have been testing it all the way along to see if it was providing value. And even just run, like before it's an app, 
Like you could see if you could provide the service that the app is going to provide and somebody would pay for it without ever releasing anything. Uh, one of the things that the Lean Startup, I, I keep quoting it, I, I've recently read it so it's still fresh in my mind, uh, that they talk about doing is kind of the concierge service. So like let's say your service provides a set of X, Y, and Z features. Start with like one or two people and actually deliver those features manually and see if that's actually something somebody's willing to pay for and then slowly build the tech up to like automate this and make it part of a mobile experience that everybody can use and see if you can grow to that scale. But yeah, if you're waiting till you launch the app to figure out if it's gonna make money, you've waited too long. Well, I think that's a really good point, Jared, that you can always pretty much scale anything, any of these features, right? And you can start super basic, like manual people doing it, and that's fine. Like. Everybody thinks that you need to automate things from the get-go, but like you said, that's really not a good way to test it, right? You spend a lot of time and money at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, literally, down from like an order delivery standpoint, right? You can literally have people working telephones, working a keyboard, doing those things before you ever have any kind of app or anything else helping facilitate that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's a really good recommendation. Yeah, I always recommend for you know my customers too to reach out to other people in the community to get resources on kind of just some business development advice, marketing advice, and all of those things. So that you know, once the app, once they are ready to kind of launch, if it if we decide to move forward, that they've got a marketing strategy and that they've got they understand you know kind of the business side of things. And so I always try and point them in the direction of like there's more to it than just putting it in the store, it's, you know, reach out to get some other resources and some other information on, on how you're actually going to get this out there into the you know, world. So we've talked a, a, a lot about how they should vet their ideas and get them prepared to hand off to you. Uh, could you talk a little bit about maybe how they should vet who they work with? Because um, there's, you know, there's a lot of people saying they do apps out there, especially if you get on the web and search it, right? Google's come up with ads all over the place. But how they can really know where they're going to have their money best spent. Um, or where they're hiring somebody on one of these freelancer sites and they're just going to end up going on and on and around in circles. Is there, is there any way you could recommend they help qualify or work with someone like yourself? So if I said I was looking for people to join my family when they are giving me the app idea, I would pose the same kind of question to them. Like you're looking for somebody to join your family and if you're going to pay somebody a freelance rate and you never see them, you're going to get what you pay for. Like this person may not be invested in your idea. They're just going to build whatever you tell them to build. And they're like, I did what you told me to do. And then you're like, why isn't it working? And you never gotten to that point of, I guess, reciprocity where both of you are working together to figure out how's this app going to work? How's it going to provide value? So you could probably tell, I think, pretty quick when you have that conversation, if that's the kind of person, if they're asking those kinds of questions up front, that's a great sign. If they're not asking those questions, then maybe they're just the person that builds the app. And in larger companies, if you have just like engineers that are working on the app, that can work because you have other people in the company that are thinking about those problems. But if you're working with a small group and a small shop of maybe one or two, three people, they're going to need to be at that level with you on all those things because um, some, if they don't do it, then no one's going to do that for you. You know, I recently saw the Bohemian Rhapsody movie, and one of my favorite parts described the scenario you were just talking about where Freddie Mercury broke up with the band and did his own thing for a little while. And when he came back and asked for their forgiveness, he said, you know what, guys? I hired a bunch of guys, and I told them what to do, and they did it. And the problem was there was no pushback from you. There was no t you know, changing up the beats by you. And, and that whole family dynamic is what made Queen you know, that substantial rock band, right? It wasn't one person directing the whole show. It was everybody's input. And I think you just described that very perfectly, where it's, it is a relationship between the development team and the, the person needing the app, right? Um, they, they have to have some work with all, and yes, this is gonna work, no, this, 
isn't going to work, hey, maybe you should try this. And, and the back and forth is where you're getting the things done and getting them done well, right? Yeah, I think the Bohemian Rhapsody, I think that was an excellent example. Um, yeah, so definitely, yeah, the development team that you're working with should give you some feedback on your idea. You know, nobody starts out with a perfect idea. So if the person you approach is like, sure, that's awesome, let's roll with that, then, you know, that's, like he said, that's not a great sign. Um, you really want someone who's going to be honest with you, you know, give you honest feedback about the, and, and ask those kind of tough questions about, have you thought about how this is, you know, going to work later? Have you thought about the long-term maintenance of this and, and those sorts of things? Um, yeah, and, and to kind of maybe open the question up bro more broadly, like is it worth actually out, because you mentioned outsourcing or paying somebody to, to do a certain part of the app. I think it is okay for things like graphical assets, for instance. That's not something where it's directly user-facing. Well, it'll be user-facing, but like in terms of like y'all planning about the, the app and the experience and the value, this is something that somebody could do, provide it, and it's done. And it looks good, hopefully. And so uh, certain things, yes, you could pay that way and do that way, but when you're actually getting down to the, the app development process, which when we're entering in the conversation of I have this idea, we're really kind of one step before the app development we're process. We're in like the ideation phase and like mm -hmm. finding the value. Those kinds of people need to be the family type. Mm -hmm. They don't need to be the person you just pay under the door and then don't see again. Yeah, it's really a question if you're looking for a developer or if you're looking for like a technical co-founder or a CTO mm -hmm. type person or a product owner, somebody who can actually assume that role and run with it, right? Like I think a lot of times we have the people come or we've had conversations with people who are like, I've got this great idea. It's everything but code, everything but code. I got, all I need is just somebody to code it up, right? Mm -hmm. And that's very rarely ever the case. And it's because there's a little bit of, of, of greed there, I think, right? Nobody wants to give a share of their idea. Uh, maybe they, they are reluctant to, to let other people share in their success or something, but I, I don't know that those people will necessarily be successful. Very rarely do you have everything but code, right? Yeah, I, I think there's a false sense of security by trying to have your idea and keep it to yourself and not share it with somebody for fear of them running with it. And at the end of the day, let's be honest, none of the developers are going to grab this idea and be like, yeah, this is, this is it. This is my golden ticket. And they're going to run with it and build this app, right? Um, just at the same time, I know a lot of people are looking for somebody to partner on with their business and like, yeah, man, I know you want to charge this, but what if you just partnered with me, right? Then you've got to see the value in that concept or desire to be a part of that project. Have you had many people approach you about that? Well, I'm sure you have, but oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's where I think I mentioned it earlier. It's like I'm really trying to test if this person's got the stuff. And by that, I like I want to see if they got the work ethic. I want to see if they want to stick with their idea. Because sometimes when you pose that question of, okay, I heard your idea. Uh, can you tell me, like, what you uh, – what you think the interface would look like. Can you tell me what you think the experience would look like? And come back to me like in a week with what, whatever you come up with and then we'll talk from there. Most of the time I don't hear anything else. Oh, yeah. And that's fine because they've realized that they're not ready and I haven't wasted my time or their time mm -hmm. or anyone's money. And so that, you know, when I was actually, I probably should caveat and say, I, when I was here in town running my own firm to like do web design and mobile design, I never landed a mobile client but I probably had conversations with about 20 people just like that. And, um, you know, I'm not really upset about it. Like, I think it was a good growing experience for them and also for me. And if I were to do it again, I think the way that I would have to structure the business would change, and I would have to present myself as somebody that is willing to take that leap of, like, okay, I'm going to be in this with this person for the long haul, and then maybe I have a couple developers with me that can do some of the 
day-to-day work of the app development. But you'd have to have somebody that's part of that team that's really willing to go and meet that person halfway and work with them over time to develop their idea. Well, it's really you have to understand from a developer's perspective, too, uh, it's sort of like uh, you're you're investing in this, right? You're taking on the risk, especially if uh, you're willing to do the work for free with something on the backside or something like that, depending on what the arrangement is. You know, there's a real opportunity cost to working full time on an app for a few months, uh, whereas the person who had the idea may not be out anything until the app is actually out in the app store. And they're like, oh, well, you know, it's not going to be successful, uh, whereas you, the developer, wasted three to six months of your life on that. They're not really out anything. So people have a hard time seeing that that's actually an investment on the developer side as well. There's a real opportunity cost because, like you said, you talk to 20 different people. There's no shortage of opportunities for you out there. It's really choosing the right opportunity. Yeah, and opportunity cost, I mean, it, it is very expensive for the development side. And again, like you said, that's maybe the, the visionaries that they don't understand, right? They, they've thought through this idea a million times and they have this great thing and they just need you to bring it to market for them, right? But uh, it still costs time. And, and, and it's your rates you've mentioned, like that's dollars you could be making elsewhere. And so, yeah, there, there has to be some compromise there if you are willing to take on part of a project as maybe a partial co-founder, right? Um, but I think more tentatively, like people should really plan to spend some money first. And then talk about that longer down the line once you again can vet them and see like, man, this person really want to make, wants to make this thing work. They've got a good idea. I think I can help them hone this thing. And I think it's interesting. You know, th- at that point, maybe you can have that conversation. But I think they've got to get something off the ground first and show a little bit more grit and put some sweat in the game, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why I would totally push them to that design sprint thing. Like I know I, I kind of beat that over the head and the lean startup. But with the design sprint, you can invest almost nothing and build a prototype and figure out if there's value. And if you were able to do that before you came to someone like ourselves, like that's gonna be like, whoa, okay. Mm-hmm. This is different than 90%, 99% of all the people that have come to me with an app idea. <laughs> you actually have something that you have uh, proven that has value and now we just need to build it. Like, whoa, okay. Yeah. It's a different conversation entirely. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, I think that's a good recommendation for anybody listening to that, you know, if they can go ahead and build out you know, maybe it's not as feature-rich or special-looking in Keynote or some kind of PowerPoint to showcase your features or your app uh, methodologies. But again, you're spending only your time on it, and you're able to map it out. And I think a lot of times when you're even mapping it out for yourself, you may find some inconsistencies or some things that you need to change and alter way before you spend money on it, right? And so then you can come up with at least a half-cooked idea by the time you get to a developer. They can have a little bit better understanding of your mind on paper rather than just trying to speak the words out and and figure out your brain because, man, we all communicate so differently. Like, I just think about how hard it is to communicate with my girlfriend on a daily basis and, (laughs) you know, communicating with someone else that has a completely different mind than me and trying to get their app business idea in my head. You know, that's a lot, right? So putting that on paper, giving it something to to actually illustrate um, what they're trying to go for can save them a lot of time and also probably help them before they can begin to speak to one of you guys. Yeah, I would almost consider it like before you go reach out to a developer, almost think of it like you're trying to pitch yourself to them, right? Like you say, you said there's no shortage of work for developers. You know, you have to convince them that this is the project that they want to take on, that this is going to be viable. And so if you kind of consider it as if, you know, you're taking it, so it needs to be refined. And, and the more of that you have, the more convincing you're going to be um, to to find and able to find somebody that is actually willing to kind of take that leap with you so so I do want to ask are there any certain niches or types of apps or just genres that you tell people like just don't do that like stay away from that that's really not an opportunity have you had any of those come across 
I've had those on the website, but I imagine they probably exist for the web or for mobile as well. Uh, and that is, I just want something to look good on the mobile device. Can you build me an app that has like the information about my company? And then there's this fallacy that and they will come or they <laughs> will use this. Right. And there may not even be anything that the app does that provides any value. Um, and it's another common misconception is this goes for the web and for mobile is that uh, you put all this time into writing copy, let's say, that you think people are going to read. When people use apps and when people use websites, they scan, and they try to find the thing that's going to provide them value immediately. And uh, when they come, when people have come to me before for web ideas, and again, I think this applies for mobile too, and they just like, let's just throw all our information out in a mobile app and put our little logo on it, and it's going to work. I stay away. Those are red flags, definitely. Well, and, and I think I'm sitting here looking at my phone. I have 10 pages, roughly 24 apps a page of apps, I bet you I use less than five or six on a daily basis, right? So there's 240 apps in here, and I'm not even using 10% of them, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that's what people don't understand. Like, this is a marketplace overload. Mm -hmm. Like, even for those that you have committed to download on your phone, you still don't use them very often. And, like, for some reason, I haven't deleted a lot of them, right? But like That's it, why I was kind of asking the monetization question before, because right. I honestly can't remember the last time that I bought an app. Uh, well, no, I, I, I will say that there's a lot of... Unless Clash of Clans, like, small micropayments <laughs> count. Yeah, like, business functionality apps with like, photo manipulation mm -hmm. or video manipulation. Like, I would say I have a plethora of those on my phone that I don't use that consistently. Yeah. That I definitely have paid some money for. Um, mm -hmm. You know, most recently, I think I even paid like $60 for an app. But that's a whole different level of development. It, it, right? was, I mean, it was a different level of development altogether. Yeah, it's not the one that you're going to churn out in a month and, and people are just going to start writing you know, checks for 60 bucks on the app store yeah. left and right and scan their face for it, right? Yeah. That's not going to happen. But, I, I, you know, I think that there, there is some opportunity. But, again, yeah, the very basic business about us page ain't going to cut it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nobody and, wants to fill their phone with that stuff. And it's sometimes hard to get people in the mindset that when you start asking a lot of the, the big W questions like the why, what, one of the questions is like, why would somebody need an app to do that? I'm not asking that because I'm trying to be a jerk. I'm asking that because you really need to think about why would somebody actually use this app? Is there a real reason to? And there's a lot of ideas that have come my way that people have asked, you know, have this idea and they don't really have an answer to that question. Sure. Well, awesome. Yeah, I was just going to go back, um, one more go back on the wireframe thing. Uh, obviously, you could spend a whole bunch of time kind of creating a mock-up, but what, what do you as a developer really look for? What are what are the important parts of the mock-up, right? Is it the graphics or is it like what the user's going to see, the interaction model? What what are kind of the, the most important takeaways so that if somebody is listening right now, they say, I've got an idea, I just need to make a mock-up now, that'll, that'll get me a long way forward. What are, what are the kind of highlights that you look for? So I really like to see a really solid kind of workflow, like how the user is going to, you know, where they start and where where they're going to end and, and just what are the steps that get them there? How are they going to navigate throughout the app? What what does that look like? Is it, you know, is everything its own page? Are there pop-ups? Like what is kind of that flow as the user works their way through the app um, to, to whatever the end goal is for that? That's what I like to see. Yeah, and through those same steps you just mentioned, you probably would reveal if there's some kind of fancy third-party tech or something that you don't have ready uh, that you would need to build. So if you're going through that flow and you see, oh, okay, I see it here that the user's checking out, and maybe you're asking, like, well, how do you think that's going to work? And you could have a conversation about that. But at that moment, you know, okay, I need to support checkout with this app. So I'm going to have to integrate with a payment provider. And so that's a now I figure that out. That's going to require a little additional work. 
or oh there's a map and you're like you're assuming people are going to use the map to like pin stuff on the map mm -hmm. okay now i got to use the map technologies that are available to me so uh, by doing that you're going to pull out all those things that are more than just tap button go to screen mm -hmm. you're going to find the things that are a little bit more advanced that's good information yeah any last tips you'd have for those that are wanting to get an app uh, either for an existing business or they've got an idea I just have my book recommendations. If you can find time to read those books, it's going to save you a lot of time with your idea. Yeah. Well, so since we're plugging books, there's another one that I really like. Uh, it's called Don't Make Me Think. I think um, I can't remember the author off the top of my head, but it's all about just understanding your user and how kind of their that short um, attention span that you have with them and, and making sure that they're they're flowing really nicely through through your application. I think it's a good resource. Yeah, one of the, uh, that reminds me, one of the crazy things Apple talks about, or uh, they have in the last few years when they've been pitching their watches, is the attention span or the amount of time you have to provide value to somebody for a watch app is something like five seconds or something. If you can't deliver that value in five <laughs> seconds, don't build the app. Like, it's mm -hmm. not going to help anybody out because they're going to, all right, I'm going to do something else. Mm -hmm. Like, I lost, the glance is all you have. Like, capture their attention with the glance. Yeah, and for those listening, that, that really is, is a true fact. Five seconds, that's actually much longer than you have in what they do in the grocery stores. Uh, the studies I've read is like 2.7 seconds to what they said, romanticize a customer into buying mm -hmm. your product versus the other one based on label appeal, right? They may not even know what the heck is in the product, but if you're looking at spaghetti sauce, right? And you've got a ton of options over here. You might recognize ragu, but what about this other side, you know? And, and you've just got very little time to catch that customer's eye. Like you said, five seconds. That's not a lot of time, but I promise you that is real. Yeah, mm -hmm. the game has changed. But if you know what your person that's going to get the value to, out of your app really wants, and you can convince that one person, I think the sell of one person to another telling, hey, look at this app that I have and look what it does, or like now I can order this thing that I've never been able to order right from my phone. It's so easy. That has a lot of power, even if you didn't win the, the sticker shock uh, argument or like the, the couple of seconds there. You may not have the best advertisement, but the word of mouth uh, advertisement that happens. Yeah, there are things that are sticky. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. Once you start using them, you just you just can't stop, right? Like I imagine every single person in this room has Slack installed on their phones, and we never even existed what two years ago, three years ago, and now it's ubiquitous at least in our communities. I'll be honest, though, that's not one of the apps I would just recommend to people. <laughs> like it really just kind of drives me nuts. I was gonna say those are so sticky you have to uninstall them. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm stuck. Like, when I think about like I have a workout app that helps to you know tra track your programming and things like that. Yeah. And I guarantee I've probably recommended it to 20 different people to watch them and watch them download it. You know. So it is one of those things when you actually de deliver value to that user, they're gonna tell people about it. Mm -hmm. um, it's not being one of those things. Maybe they share it through Facebook and say, Hey, check out this app. But they're gonna tell their friend, and that's much more powerful word of mouth. Mm -hmm. um, that's a really good point, Jared. Yeah, and, and when you think, and the design sprint encourages this uh, as part of the process. When you're thinking about the value you're providing, you also need to think about how is the person going to find out about your app. Nobody's going on the app store typically and just searching on the search bar app that does XYZ. Like, there's some other way that they probably found out about it. Maybe it was the Facebook ad. Maybe uh, if you already have a presence, a physical store, let's say, and somebody came to shop and there's the things like, try out our app, like 20% off, whatever. Or you put it in a shipping box along with the thing that you sent to the customer. Think about that part of the experience as well because, yeah, people don't just search on the app store. Yeah, typically. you can't say, I'm going to make a workout app. Somebody will find it yeah. because, yeah. like, those top five search no slots way. on workout app <laughs> are, 
are SEO'd to the max, right? Like it's a competition. It's ruthless yeah. to get into you know, the top of an app store. Took it the most seriously was Chick Fil A. They did a freaking Super Bowl ad about their app when they launched it, right? Mm -hmm. And they had it all over. All of their marketing was on every single cup, every bag. Download our app, and I was like, man, if you're gonna go after it, that's the way to go after it. Like mm -hmm. you'd be loud. And you'd well, they were giving you free it. chicken sandwiches too. And yeah, then yeah. now that I think about it, I don't think I've opened the Chick Fil A app. And <laughs> I've regretted not opening it because oh, I've gone to order and they're like, you it, could it get a free sandwich. So much, that thing, I, <laughs> I know, it's absolutely. it's great. I just forget to use it. I will not so, reload yeah. the Chick-fil-A card, but I will 100% pay with my debit card through that app. Yeah, I'm going to that line out until I'm here way before I'm actually there. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you mentioned uh, the gym and the workout app example. I think it's a good one. Like, If you were going to do that, go to a gym and go find a couple people at the gym that would be willing to like go into this journey with you as a tester. Um, if you have to say, you know, I'll give you like a $25 Amazon gift card for testing with us or whatever you got to do um, and then you can actually start working with that person and figuring out what they want maybe what the other apps don't provide that nobody's thought about yet um, I would encourage building your platform or your app that way building your audience that way really great insight Lacey Jared thank you so much for being here today if they want to get in touch with you for any app development stuff would you mind throwing out some content information for them real quick um, sure, yeah, so you can, uh, my company is Zaros Labs, uh, you can just Google us, and my email is Lacey at ZarosLabs.com, so. That's Zaros with two R's, right? Just one. Just one R, okay, Z-A-R-O-S. Yep. And then I'm at uh, JaredParks.com, J-A-R-R-O-D-P-A-R-K-E-S.com, and my contact information's on there. I'm not really accepting new, like, app work, but I'll certainly sit down with you, have a cup of coffee, and maybe we can help you grow that idea a little bit more so that you can find somebody place that'll work on it for you. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys so much, Michael. Thanks for filling in with us today. Yeah, thank Appreciate you. Appreciate you being here. And guys, we'll catch you next time.